have no friends. Nobody likes you. I'm not listening. Well then, listen to South by Saturday night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye bye Saturday night. Good evening, everybody. It's TalkCast 175, and part of our continuing Where the Hell's My Flying Car? It's 2013 series. I am the Dome. Deep in Area 51 on sub-level I-405 past the Slauson Cutoff. Take a left. Cut off your Slauson. Behind the book-burning pavilion for alternate eating and air conditioning next to the fried green tomato body wrap and Frogert hut. I am the Dome. And if it was me, I would, I would definitely like a piccolo fly, playing robot. Uh, we don't have them yet. I want one. And not one of those stupid ones from any one of those, uh, the iRobot movie. Those were just ridiculous. Joining the talk cast tonight, many of the usual suspects and some that aren't. In the revered time vortex in the stacks of her personal silence zone in the dank dungeon reading room. Tonight's architect of all that is technical, just for the hell of it. Trying to keep cool, calm, and collected in a pool of her own sweat. She's got books. She knows how to use them. It's our Zombrarian. I want a robot. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. I, I knew somehow she'd get a robot. From the Four Color Vault of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, uh, the woman who's both red hot and icy cold, joining Barnabas the Zombie Cat, it is our own. Ingenue, the dead redhead. I say we have to get those cars because anybody who's seen the whole Kevin, um, the Kevin Smith monologue about what he would do to somebody who created a flying car, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to talk like this so you people stop making fun of my voice. That's not happening. <laughs> we will and find because- whole new ways. Because Kriana's not here, we're going to have to do it for her. I know! <laughs> oh, oh, my God. <laughs> well, that was Kriana, wasn't it? No, never mind. Joining us today. Uh, he was on our show six years ago when we were back on Clear Channel. Hello, Clear Channel people. We don't miss you much at all. Uh, the gentleman who uh, was brought to us uh, by a science fiction author for... Uh, Putting together what is probably one of the most fantastic concepts in the world from Liftport, Michael Layer. Michael, welcome to the show again. Hi, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Oh, yeah. It's been an interesting ride getting you here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that was a little awkward. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, so, anyhow, uh, let's get started and do some news. What's happened this week? Ooh. Uh, I want to start off with something all you young kids won't have a clue about, 
which is actually more fun than I, I usually have. <laughs> Malachi Throne died this week. Yes. Uh, this, this is an actor who, for uh, the genre, for science fiction, did just about everything. His part in Star Trek Menagerie was mm -hmm. perhaps one of the best ever. Uh, but of course, that was the original series, so most of you kids haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. And then, uh, so let me see. Get off the damn lawn. Really, pretty much. Uh, the Outer Limits, Batman in the no, 60s. Yep, the, the, the funny Batman. The, the, yes, yeah, the, uh, the uh, Adam House. West Batman. The Adam West Batman. Uh, Batman could choose scenery like nobody's uh, business. Lost in Space, 1966. Six Million Dollar Man, 1975. Oh, here's something you kids might remember. Babylon 5. Yeah, he was in that, too. The original uh, or the remake? Uh, the 95 version. So the original. Okay. The original, yeah. Wow. Um, so, you know, Malachi Throne was, uh, was actually going to be the original Dr. McCoy. Really? He turned the role down. <laughs> Whoops. Wow. Yeah, yeah, there's there's uh you know, something that you look back on and go, All right, maybe that was a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> bad idea. Anyway. Uh Malachi Throne will be missed. He died of complications to lung cancer. Mm. Uh, he will be missed. But you can see most of his stuff in black and white still. Or Star Trek color. Yeah, that's true. Some of it has been colorized. So, Dead Redhead. Mm-hmm. I understand you've been watching some TV. Yes, we, we were sent a little email by a little bird. Hi, Jess. We love you. Um, Hi, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> it said, hey, guys, did you know that sci one of Sci-Fi Saturday Night's favorite actors of all time. Doug Jones, you all know how much we love that man. We just yeah. want to give him as many hugs as possible. Yeah. Um, Doug was actually going to be back on The Neighbors. And I am probably one of the few who had not seen the show from our show. And I'm like, okay, Doug is going to sing. They're doing a musical. I have to watch this. So we got it on the DVR and we watched it the other night and it was like oh my god <laughs> it that was perhaps was the show is bizarre so as it stands the show itself is just surreal to it be was like the the fam the uh the aliens who live in that neighborhood decided to explore to find out what a musical was and they walked to New York to Broadway and saw <laughs> Annie of all things and then they wanted to make all of their lives a musical and they kept breaking out into these like musical so. numbers like Buffy like the Joss Whedon Buffy episode <laughs> right. of, of you know and it just went on and every once in a while you'd see this very tall lanky and Doug has a very short haircut now and his very tall lanky kind of goofy looking guy and he'd throw out this bizarre song lyric and it's like oh Doug <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was definitely an oh Doug moment it was you know the show itself <laughs> Neighbors is is a show that was universally panned 
has been not getting bad reviews, not getting great reviews, but I mean, not not getting great uh, uh, Nielsen ratings, but not bad. I mean, it's solidly in the center of the pack. It's been renewed for another season, and most most of the uh, the naysayers said it was going to be gone in a matter of six weeks. I'm really glad it isn't because it's actually uh, it in it, a comedy science fiction series in its own surreal little place. It's kind of like um, what was the one with Ray Walston? My favorite, My favorite Martian? Martian. Yeah. I mean, it's it's different because that was a true sitcom. This is like a surrealist version of a sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> It's weird. It's very strange. But we laughed a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. And Zombrarian. Yes. We missed a story last week that you really wanted to get to. We did. And it's, it's actually an even older story than that because I'm a bad journalist. So... <laughs> bad journalist. Bad so, journalist. way, way back ago. Long, long time ago. Oh, sorry. Some wonderful people decided to start a project they called the Hawkeye Initiative, um, where they basically took um, male superheroes and drew them in poses that their female counterparts were put in, and one of the first and most (laughs) famous of these was an Avengers picture where um, Black Widow was all like contorted so that her butt stuck out, um, and all the uh, male Avengers were like her hulky, and I'm making the arm <laughs> motion like a football <laughs> linebacker, but you can't see it. Um, and the <laughs> link I had, and so the Hawkeye Initiative has taken has really taken off, and it's amazing in my opinion because you really start to see how absolutely ridiculous and sort of impossible a lot of these poses are physically oh, impossible physically yeah, impossible sure. pretty much yeah. yes um but that picture itself is just kind of ugly during, <laughs> well and during emerald city comic-con some unnamed and wonderful cosplayer decided that he was going to cosplay this original Hawkeye Initiative um, drawing, and it's so funny. And Does everyone... he have ashless chaps on? No, he's got on like oh, little okay. booty shorts. Yes, he does. Because <laughs> that's that's what they tend to put. Um, because you can't really make their shirts skimpy and have it have the same effect. So usually they end that's up true. in little booty shorts in the Hawkeye Initiative pictures. That's pretty funny. <laughs> But I wanted to draw attention to the Hawkeye Initiative because I think it's amazing. And especially to this brave young man in his little booty shorts at Emerald City Comic Con. um, Because that was very brave because I wouldn't wear those. (laughs) The end. Love song. The end. Okay, I I want to, if we can, talk about uh, something that we kind of talked about last week. And that is Star Wars Episode Seven, oh. and how. Dun, uh, dun. I'm sorry. Dun dun dun. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we need a sound effect. Thank you. I I'll appreciate get that. I'll get right on that. <laughs> uh, da, da, da. Sorry. 
So one of the things that we thought you know was was going to be interesting was that Luke, Leia, and and Han were actually going to be back mm -hmm. as 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 original. But what we don't know, what we don't know about Episode Four, and it's finally come out in a documentary by Graham Putnam, is the Death Star was not blown up by Luke. It was, in fact, an inside job. What? This is <clears throat> perhaps one of the best conspiracy theory documentaries I have ever watched. <laughs> That's not true. That's impossible. This, this sounds like Capricorn One, for those of you who know what that is. Look it up, kids. Oh, good Lord. It kind of does, doesn't it? So, <laughs> So the bottom the bottom line that. is that an amateur investigator within the Star Wars universe who has no direct access to any information has come up with this conspiracy theory and made these assumptions, presents them as facts, and it is quite frankly one of the funniest, funniest <laughs> things I have ever seen. Anybody who, you know, you know, believes, you know, that uh, the the Death Star was located on a grassy knoll next to a fluoride mine. <laughs> now, now, now we'll know the first. truth. That's right. Doesn't matter if Han shot first because the Death Star was an inside job. We'll provide a link to uh, that short film. I suggest you, you check it out because everybody really needs to know the truth. <laughs> it is out there. <laughs> It's next to the one where that I had found this week about them saying that there's an alien changeling who's actually one of the guards for President Obama. Of course. Yeah. You know, Star Magazine <laughs> never stops with that shit, do they? Oh. Weekly World News, baby! <laughs> Weekly World News! So speaking of things that sound like they belong in a tabloid, what's this anti-zombie perfume? Oh my gosh. So, somebody, of course, because everybody is trying to make a buck off zombies at this point. Um, and many are doing that, quite a good job of it. That's true. They are. I'll admit I've made a couple bucks off some zombies in the last week. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. Wow. Uh, I do it by pushing them and <laughs> taking their wallets. So, somebody has created a zombie for him and zombie for her. Uh, fragrance i guess and the the uh x dead body spray oh sorry i i <laughs> and it comes from weird perfume shop demeter fragrance library whatever that is called and they said that it's the scent aroma of dried leaves mushrooms mildew earth moss and for the ladies a bottom of the dregs of the bottom of a wine barrel um, it's $40 for a four ounce bottle. Holy crap. That's so, literally. Folks, if you really want to just waste your $40, you could actually send it to Sci-Fi Saturday Night and we'd be uh, more hit, than happy to use that for a good cause. But, hit the uh, donate button on our website and throw some money in the creepy jar for us. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, anti-zombie perfume. So, there we go, folks. Kind of odd. Yeah. Now, so, now, wait a second. Zombies need love too, because I just watched uh, Warm Bodies, and I have to say that might be the funniest 
zombie movie I ever saw. Oh my gosh, it looks so cute. So... Kriana yeah. hated that movie. She, she hated the whole idea of it, remember? Kriana wouldn't even <laughs> no, go see it. that movie with me because she said it was like necrophilia. And, and that's just... all she could think of. <laughs> and and I was like, but it looks cost? adorable. And she says, but necrophilia. And I said, but adorable. And then she said, I won't pay for you to go see it. And then I stopped asking. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. The end. Uh, the end. The end. Nice stories are great tonight, aren't they? Well, I'm going to put a spoiler in there because if you do see it, watch for Romeo and Juliet. Oh. I'm so surprised <laughs> and shocked that a teen movie is referencing Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> um, so I went, I, I went with my 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 three best friends and we're all like 44 year old guys we've known each other for a long long time we we thought all right this is going to be the worst zombie movie ever but we have an obligation to zombie movies to go see the zombie movie yep yeah, and yeah. holy crap were we laughing out loud like we were the only we went at like the noon show we were yep. the only people in it and nice. when they when they hit Romeo and Juliet, like I, I read classical literature and everybody else does not, and so I saw Romeo and Juliet like five minutes before everybody else did, and I am literally laughing so hard I'm crying. And they're like, "What's going on?" And I point out, and then they get it, and everybody falls apart. It was a very funny moment. Seriously, Romeo and Juliet, watch for it. It's very funny. There's actually a lot of stuff that leads to it but then there's that moment that it all clicks into place it's nice. it's worth seeing as a as a comedy it's worth seeing cool so there uh, Kriana you yeah. but, but did have, they did not have zombie perfume and that would have just put it one step over the top there we go there we go so there was a lot of lot of talk about Doctor Who this week. The uh, eleven Doctors, the set report with Stephen Moffat, Matt Smith, and uh, in an interview, uh, a feature length interview with Peter Jackson on why he loves the show so much. Now I'm honestly not a great Peter Jackson fan. I think he makes four movies where one should suffice, possibly two, but. <laughs> Be that as it may, you know, he, he's done some oh better than passable cinematic work, let's be honest. Uh, but Peter Jackson has, in fact, offered uh, to direct a uh, an episode of Doctor Who. And uh, he came out this week with his price. He said, well, you know what? You're not even going to have to pay me. I'll do it for free. I can't imagine the bees passing that up. However, there's a caveat here. However, I've got my eye on one of those nice new gold-colored Daleks. They've got to have a spare one hanging around somewhere. So, for the price of a gold Dalek, boy, it sounds like uh, Ferengis, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For the price got, of a gold Dalek, we'll get could, you to. They could take crazy. one of those those um, 
the uh, power puff color ones that they got had from oh that one God. episode where there were a billion of them. It just spray painted gold for God's sake. Yep. So you know what? I think that would kind of be as good as uh, the episodes written by uh, oh name blown out of my head. Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. See, Kriana wasn't here to go. Not him. Anyway. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I a Peter Jackson I think, directed episode might be kind of amazing. I think, I think the beat would swipe that up. It would have to be a two part episode. Maybe yeah, three part. <laughs> <laughs> I think you may be right there. Oh, and Andy Andy Circus would have to have a job in it. <laughs> Peter Jackson could take an Ood episode and make it. Yeah. Long. Like, not even the doctor and the Ood. It would just be the Ood sitting there <laughs> with their little glowy, glowy brain balls. <laughs> wow. What are you, 12? Yeah, pretty much. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty much going for 12 right now. So, uh, Kickstarter this week. The Kickstarter uh, initiative of the week. This one kills me okay the cobra commander that's a kickstarter project trying to raise 21 million four hundred and seventy four thousand eight hundred and thirty six seeking these funds to rebuild cobra island and defeat gi joe that's hilarious what's hilarious is it's actually on kickstarter Is it actually that, getting funded? Yeah, there's people who are putting up money for it. Where? Well, what is he going? What specifically is his plan? The plan is. What are and what are the rewards? I need to know. Because <laughs> I might donate the six dollars. What can uh, we get? Well, the interesting thing is that the Cobra Commander has actually uh, only backed one other project on Kickstarter. And that project was uh, a, a choose-your-own-adventure story campaign called Bunny and the Missing Monster. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. This is amazing. So, yeah. What is, here's, this, what is this thing called? Because I'm looking for it while we're talking. And I don't Kickstart see it. Cobra. Kickstart Cobra. All right. Oh, my gosh. So, don't tell me. What are some of the some of the um, rewards I could receive for different levels of support. For $10 you get a sticker. Estimated delivery January 2014. Pledge $200 or more the services of Storm Shadow for an entire week. (laughs) Pledge $1,000 or more you get a full Cobra makeover and potential position within the Cobra organization. Nice. Limited to 100 backers. And $10,000 or more, limited to two backers, Cobra Commander will reveal to you and you alone his true identity. <laughs> what his face looks like. <laughs> Man, oh, my goodness. That is well, but that, when, is it, when does that end? What's the, what's the end date? Oh, there is no end date on it. <laughs> right. No, no, because that that goes hand in hand with the uh, 
with the Kickstarter Death Star and the Kickstarter um, uh, X-Wing Squadron. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. So those are all ending April first. I thought that was pretty darn clever. There's a lot of people who are really pissed off about that because they think that it's kind of uh, Kickstarter's jumped the shark. I think it's brilliant. I think it that is. if you can get that across, then then go nuts. Um, I think people need to have a goddamn sense of humor, and there's that's just right. enough of it anymore. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I was actually talking to uh, to Yancey Strickler, he's the co-founder of Kickstarter, this weekend, and we started talking about what the future of Kickstarter is. Because uh, we got our start, our, our restart from Kickstarter. So, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a force for good in the world. And we talked about, you know, some of these jump the shark moments, and, and obviously he doesn't think it is. I don't think it is. We on this call don't think it is. But, but there's some people that are kind of bashing it, and and I think if you can get a Cobra Commander to reveal his secret identity, then more more power to you. Absolutely. Um, I, I I think an open source Death Star is genius <laughs> and worthy. I pledged to it. I did. Check my check my stats. I'm a backer for Death Star. Hell yes. That's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's only there were only like two reward levels. Um, get your name on a droid or get your name on something else, which of course, you know, doesn't exist. But it's I'm like, you know, if they can pull off twenty million dollars in six weeks. They should just, you know, go nuts with that money. They it's actually they, twenty-one million, but yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, they absolutely yeah, should. Hey, yeah. they would beat Amanda Palmer. Here's my thing, <laughs> yeah. though. Um, Kickstarter. I feel like there are a lot of people who still have no idea what it is. Like oh, after the Veronica Mars movie got funded last week, which we decided deliberately not to talk about, and here I am talking about it a little bit <laughs> tangentially. <laughs> Um, apparently this journalist wrote a scathing, scathing article about how there are better charities in the world to support than a Veronica Mars movie. And I Not realized... Not getting at all what it was and, about. Well, yeah. shush. And I realized they actually had no idea... That okay. Kickstarter was n is not a charity website. Charity, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. In it fact, if you're a nonprofit, you can't use Kickstarter, I don't think. Well, no, you I, can. Oh, you, you can. can use Kickstarter as yeah, a nonprofit? I, I, I helped uh, the National Space Society raise $60,000 just uh, two months, a month and a half ago. Okay. So, yeah, absolutely, you can. There, I mean, there's rules you have to abide by. Remember, you they have got to this. Jump through a few more sh uh, jump through a few more hoops to make that. No, uh, no, no, no. There were no more hoops for for that nonprofit to jump through than I did for my own campaign. Uh, it's in, our, in in that case, there were two different committees that had to buy off on before the campaign got launched, and that was a whole another level of complexity. But that was because the organization was the kind of organization it is. It had nothing to do with Kickstarter's rules or anything. Uh, Things that we are learning. Yeah. Well, you know, I was when I was talking to Yancey, um, you know, how many opportunities do you get to, to talk to the guy who has an impact on the world like this guy did? So we, had, we talked for about half an hour and I'm like, hey, I love what you did, and I, I, I'm grateful for the chance to restart and have a renaissance moment. But 
there's problems with your platform that added a whole bunch of complexity to our system. So, you know, he's actually asking for the feedback. He was aware of our project and he wanted advice on how to make Kickstarter better. So that was pretty awesome, yeah. That's and then the other thing was, you know, they have these 13 categories, art, comics, games, design, etc. We fell into the technology category, but we absolutely were not anything like their technology stuff. I said, wouldn't it be awesome if you guys had a research category? Mm. Oh, that would be amazing. Right, the same way you guys are like, oh, that's great. He had that same epiphany moment. And so they actually may create a, a research group. How incredible would it be to start, you know, kickstarting research? You know, so that person who wrote that scathing review of Veronica Mars, well, how about what if you did cancer researcher, AIDS researcher, space elevator researcher, pick a, any problem research? Sure. Right? You know, I, I think that would be kind of awesome. So I'm actually chatting with Yancey about how to maybe set that up or at least create a subcategory. Because, like, look, if you look at their film category, there's like five categories of film. And there's, right. you know, blah, blah, blah. And each of these have different subs. Well, you know, create a research one. How hard would that be? So, mm. yeah. Yeah, we'll see if that goes anywhere. Well, maybe he'd like to come on the show and talk to us about it at some point. That might be cool. You know, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, you know, for a guy who's moved $400 million into various projects of, you know, uh, you know, I don't know how many individuals. I think it's 80,000 projects have been attempted and, I don't know, 30,000 have been successful or whatever. Um, he's done some pretty amazing stuff, but he is a very calm, unassuming guy you would completely pass him on the subway. Like, it's just, he's just this, hey, he's very laid back, very, very, he's not arrogant or or self-righteous or anything. Like, if I had moved $400 million into stuff, I probably would be kind of a jerk. I, I, probably, <laughs> I, I, know, I know myself, right? I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of arrogant to begin with. If I had achieved what he'd achieved, I don't think I could be as humble as he was. I was really impressed by this guy. You know, only only a half hour conversation, but I definitely was impressed by him. Cool. Yeah. So I don't know. Get him on the show. I think he'd have something interesting to say. I agree. Love him. So we're at the halfway point of the show, which brings us to the thing that we normally do at the halfway point of the show, which after mentioning that it's halfway through the show, we go dead redhead. It's halfway time. Uh, a dead redhead is here. And and would you like to talk about this week's Facebook poll? I sure can. Uh, this was brought out because X and I decided to go see the new, uh, the wonder, the world, wild world of uh, whatever they're calling this new Wizard of Oz movie. I can't remember. I'm sorry. Anyway, it doesn't really. Bob. <laughs> it doesn't matter because um, of yeah, what's his name is in it, and I don't Who's like Franco. him. Yeah. Yes, James Franco. He's he's just not a good actor. I'm sorry. I don't. Some I, people I, think he probably, is, and I can't figure out why. But that's okay. I'm sure he's a wonderful human being. He looks like he would be a wonderful human being, but he's not a good actor. I'm sorry. He won't be on this <laughs> show now either. But yeah. anyway, yeah, we have a whole bunch um, of people who, having said what we've said about them, right? They'll never be on. They're never going to be on. Yeah. No. No. But um. But we, we can add James Franco to the list now. 
So we, we all started thinking about various Wizard of Oz spinoffs, and so X and I are like, you know what, we should find out what people think about some of the, who their favorite Oz spinoff is. So we did that, and we do have a tie, because we seem to have ties all the time now, but we have one tie for third, and the tie for third is actually a three-way and I believe all three of them are comics. I may not be right on that. But um, two of them are definitely comics. And that's The Oz Squad, which came out in the late 80s, which was a really cool series, actually. Um, you would be hard-pressed to find it. But it, if you can find it, it's a very cool series. With Lost Girls, which Thank was... Thank you! Thank you! Thank by you. Alan Moore. What a and is, terrific that is not a comic book you would give the kids no not at all. <laughs> keep it away for the kids in fact or you might end up in jail um creepy so, jar just for reading it but that's okay Still and then the third one of the tie for number three is tin men which i again was thinking it was a comic but i didn't put that one up there so i'm not no, quite it's sure a, it's a really really lousy movie with uh oh okay okay uh, not that bad it's danny devito and uh Oh God! It's it's about sighting. Yeah. Guys like, are you Oh, see, I thought there was another one that I didn't know about, and I'm like, you mean the one about the ciders? That doesn't make any sense. That's okay. the one. Somebody was trying to do be punny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we have such funny listeners. Um, <laughs> coming in at number two was Return to Oz, which we know is a favorite for an awful lot of folks. Yeah. Um, and gave me nightmares for years as a child. Thanks, guys. <laughs> That's the one with Peru's Falk, right? That's the one with the electroshock therapy at the beginning. Nothing yeah, else in that movie the... matters, and then everyone turns into green things. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I remember from that movie is electroshock therapy, and there's that room where you touch things and you say Oz, and then you turn into something green if you pick the wrong thing. Okay. Me. Anyway, sorry. And how old are you saw, dear? <laughs> Little. <laughs> Little enough yes. to be traumatized and never I, say I, Oz I, while touching anything. But a lot of people actually like that one. But number one, I am very proud of because it's my favorite novel and it drives X crazy because I'm always like, well, that wasn't it, Wicked. So is Wicked the novel? Yay. I love Wicked. It's like, I like one of my novels of all time. I'm gonna yeah. be the one dissenting voice and say I hated Wicked. I love it so much. I thought it was such a masturbatory piece of literature. <laughs> it was, but what's your point? No, no, yeah. like not in a good way. Like No, I get like that. Like the author was mm -hmm. just like look at how wonderfully smart and referential I am. And I was like, shut <laughs> up, I hate you. But I've met him. He's actually a very nice man. I'm sure he is. I probably shouldn't make fun of him, but I did not like because there's somebody else now who won't be on the show, but that's okay. No, he can come <laughs> no, fight with oh, me. He was awesome when I met him. He can talk to Dead Redhead and I'll go away. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I interrupted the poll. Sorry. But that was our poll this week. Come back next weekend. We'll dig up something else to put on there for you. And yeah, we'll figure that out at that point. Which brings us to... Beyond the halfway point. <laughs> Yes, we're beyond the fringe right now. Uh, in in 2005, when this show, as you know it, was another show that you didn't know because not too many people knew it back then. 
<laughs> we had uh, science fiction author Ben Bova on, and yes, Kriana will now say, would you stop the goddamn name dropping? Name dropper! And the answer is, no, I won't. It's actually germane to this story. And we were talking to Ben Bova about his, his newest novel at the time. For the life of me, I wish I could remember what it is, but I can't. Mercury. It's called Mercury. Oh, my God, you're right. It was. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, and as we were talking about the book, I was particularly enamored with one of the pieces of technology because Ben is one of the rare science fiction authors who actually grounds the technology that they use in, in gives a reality basis. I mean, it can actually happen in the same way that Arthur Clarke did uh, inventing uh, uh, radio t satellites uh, 30 years before they were actually ever conceived as being possible to do because many of the best science fiction writers had a really great basis in science to make it happen. And as we, as we were talking about it, uh, just as we were heading towards a commercial break, he, we were talking about the space elevator technology in that book, uh, which is very similar to the uh, technology that Heinlein used in Friday and that I believe Clark used in one of his books as well. And he just very offhandedly said, you know, they're building that. And the room just kind of stopped dead at that point. <laughs> we all kind of went, no shit. And we threw in a commercial, and, and Ben said, yeah, I know the guy. I've spoken to him a number of times. I'll hook you up with him. That gentleman is the gentleman who's with us tonight, Mike Lane. Michael, welcome Yay. to the show. <laughs> Thank you. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome to get a recommendation from a guy named Ben Bova. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, pretty, that's, pretty, that's pretty awesome. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more, man. <laughs> so, so I barely know Ben. We've talked a few times. I believe that he saw me in, you know, giving a presentation. I, I, I go to a lot of science fiction conventions and we talk about the project. I think he was in the audience at a particular Worldcon or Norwestcon or something like that, probably in the Seattle area. I, I, I vaguely remember him, but I didn't know who he was early on. Um at the time when I was talking to him. Of course, I knew if he had said that he was a writer, I would have known immediately. But he wasn't, he didn't introduce himself at the time. So this has got to be 2003, maybe 2004, maybe, but it was a while ago. And fast forward, as you said, he, he had this book called Mercury. Now, I'll tell you, every space elevator guy and every science fiction I've ever read is a complete loon. Like, they are not good people. They're not good people to hang out with and have a beer with. They, you wouldn't want your daughter to marry one. Like, oh, not people, right? For whatever reason, they're, they're definitely sketchy characters. I hope that that's just a reflection of the fiction and not, like, people actually know me well enough to write that, that stuff about me. But, um, but uh, no, so... I finally pinned him down just last year, last May. He and I were in Washington, D.C. together for a conference. And I, I, got, I got a copy of Mercury and I went up to him. I'm like, you know, I don't know if you remember me. It's been a while. But I really want to know if I'm the character, I'm the person that you modeled the character after. 
And he's like, absolutely not. I never do that. Blah, blah, blah. Completely vehemently denied that it was happening. And I actually got him to sign my book and say, Michael Lane is not the character that this is modeled after. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Because, because that character uses the same mannerisms, the same characters of speech. He's, there's a lot of similarities between that person in the book and myself. Now, the differences clearly are I've not killed 10 million people by dropping the space elevator on Quito, Ecuador. I have not. That's a good thing. I have not been um, exiled to Mercury to a science station. I have not killed people uh, in premeditated murder in revenge, and I have not yet killed myself. So I want to make it very clear that I am not that character. But but the space elevator guys in fiction are really creepy guys over and over and over again. I've read I've I've had folks send me stories that they're writing, you know, at different levels of production and every single one of the space elevator people are creepy creepy guys. Um, <laughs> there was a uh, romantic comedy and I was a creepy guy. Um, You're taking this uh, way too personally, Michael. <laughs> I feel like you really are. I like wait a second. Could somebody so I'm, no, I'm saying this because I'm hoping that some of your audience are writers and that they will make the Space Elevator guy some really nice, down-to-earth, mellow guy who has a particular drive to accomplish something. Like, I would just like to be the nice guy for a change instead of, like, <laughs> the, the, the villain, the, the super villain from a James Bond movie or something. That would be nice. So, so instead of being the Ernst Blofeld, you are actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about what happened in the intervening seven years since Oof. the last time we spoke to you. All because right. The original project kind of folded its tent and went away for a while. Well, that's generous. I'd say crash and burn, but yes. I was uh, going to go there because you don't want to say that about a space elevator. We're trying to say you're a nice guy. (laughs) Yeah. No, let's let's talk about that because that's actually a really worthwhile story to tell. Uh, So – uh, for I'm going to give this background for your your listeners that haven't heard this. I'm going to like do the the two minutes, thirteen year, eleven year history. So just I'm leaving some stuff out, obviously, but. We started out under NASA's umbrella. I was the number two guy on the NASA Institute for Advanced Concepts Research team. That we were under there for two years, from 2001 to 2003. When the money was running out, we were asking NASA for another program to work under. And the Space Shuttle Columbia crashed. And so they rescheduled a whole bunch of research projects cut a bunch of stuff, merged a bunch of stuff, and we are suddenly orphaned. So at that point, we create Liftport. So this is our 10-year anniversary month, so I'm pretty excited about that. We created it in March 2003, and that was privately funded. What wasn't known then, and this certainly wasn't a part of the original uh, broadcast with you guys, was that I was funding that project mostly out of my own checkbook at the time. So we grew to about 14 people. We first started working on carbon nanotubes. 
That did not work. We were actually particularly bad at that technology. Uh, we were never very good at, uh, at carbon nanotubes. We tried really hard. We were one of the first 500 labs in the U.S., maybe 500 labs in the world working on carbon nanotubes, super early days. And frankly, nobody understood this stuff very well. So we vastly underestimated the problem. Uh, we quit that research. We put about $300,000 into that, which in terms of my own personal checkbook was a lot of money. But in terms of the size of the problem and the literally billions of dollars that the United States government, U.S. industry, China, India, Japan, Europe, Asia have put into this thing, uh, there's probably been – Probably no exaggeration to say there's probably in the neighborhood of $20 billion been spent in nanotech research in the last 10 years since we stopped doing it. Um, so my 300000 didn't work very well. and It was kind of a drop in the bucket compared to comparatively. But we got now, really, at, really good. Oh, go ahead. Yep. At yep. that point, you were uh, attempting to build a, uh, uh, a plant in New Jersey, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so we had leased uh, we had leased a hundred thousand square foot facility. We had licensed some technology from MIT and from uh, uh, National Renewable Energy Lab. We thought each of them had part of the solution, but they since they weren't talking to each other, they were talking to us. We could kind of glue the two pieces together. Absolute fiasco. A little frustrating. It didn't work. Quality control was a mess. The method didn't work. It, there was, we did make nanotubes. We did. We made thimblefuls right. of nanotubes, but we could never scale that up. And what we ultimately needed was boxcars full of nanotubes. So we pulled the plug on that in about 2005. But concurrent to that, we started working on robotics. And we took these... Uh, little robots. They started out in our office and Legos, made them out of Legos. And we climbed up, uh, you know, five foot, six foot frame worth of string. And then I had a six story office building. So we put this arm out the side of the window down to the street and climbed up and down. Then we went up to the roof and climbed up and down, had this cantilevered arm out over the side of the building with a string climbing up and down. And that was pretty good. Then we moved to MIT, and we did this uh, 17 stories in the air at the beginning of a snowstorm. By the way, all right. that stuff is on our uh, our YouTube channel. Right. Um, and then uh, eventually we graduated to balloons, and we went as high as one mile. And we had an endurance oh. test of uh, not nearly as high, only a couple hundred feet, but we went as, high, as long as 60 days. And things were actually really looking good for us. But that's in 2007. My wealth came from real estate. And you know what happened in 2007 and 2008. The real estate market. A lot of it, yeah. 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 So I had leveraged my building to pay for my staff's payroll. And it was it was under normal circumstances, it was a very safe scenario. Uh, I had a building worth three and a half million dollars. When I started the project, I only owed about four hundred thousand on it, so I had a lot of equity in this thing. 
and I would pull the equity out and spend it on my team and pull some more equity out and spend it on my team. And this is going to sound crazy, but uh, this was actually a plan. You couldn't, you couldn't finance a space elevator, right? For obvious reasons. So I, I got to a point where I couldn't get any more loans. So I literally just stopped paying my mortgage, just stopped knowing I had a lot of equity and that I would go into foreclosure. I could get what's called a hard money loan and reinstate the mortgage and then go back to business as usual. Well, I did that seven times. Like if you go into foreclosure once, maybe you got in a car accident, you broke your leg, you couldn't work for a while, bad things happen. It's the cascading effect. If you go into foreclosure once and lose your house, it's an accident. And that's a terrible situation to be in. If you go into it seven times with your (laughs) eyes wide open, it might not be a good plan, but it's a plan, right? It's a plan. I'll give you that much. (laughs) It might not be a good one, right? But it is a plan. And so here's the thing, though, guys, is that it worked. It worked six out of seven times. So I was, you know, I was able to take my team forward and it was my real estate. It was my asset. It was my roll of the dice. And so had we been in normal times economically, it was what's called a 51% loan to value, which under normal circumstances is very, very, very safe. Um, in but then I lost it. Seven, however, in two thousand seven, all the rules changed, but nobody knew it yet. So I, you know, I lost my building very unexpectedly. Very unexpectedly, there was some, there was some sketchy stuff happening in the background. That I only found out about a year after that had happened. Um, and I lost my building, and so literally, that bank guy did a fifty percent sale, and. In in less than 24 hours, it turned upside oh. down in less than 24 hours. And I lost the building. And as a result of losing the building, um, I had to let my team go. And that was the end of Liftport 1.0. So that Which was 2007. Bridge. Fast forward, I literally, you know, I kind of tried to do space stuff for the next couple years. I, I went to International Space University. I went to some school. You know, I... I I did a lot of interesting things, but nothing, nothing really elevator related other than just try to kind of fan the flames of a dying ember. And, uh, well, that was kind of more poetic than I usually speak. That was, weird. <laughs> that was kind of weird. That's, that's not normal. And it didn't actually come out right. It sounded weird. Anyway, so, um, yeah, that was it. And, uh, basically the space elevator project was uh, either, dying or dead depends on which which way you look at it and then kickstarter came along and that gave us another shot now kickstarter did one of two things that needed to have to happen kickstarter the uh, space elevator science climb to the sky tethered tower project of yours was backed in a matter of days for the $8,000 you asked by the time it was done on September 13th you had over $100,000 yeah, yeah but, it was crazy. But at the same time, there had to be some 
shift of focus uh, for you and, and what it is you were trying to do, as well as a scientific advance. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, what happened there? Sure. Um, the year prior, so so this was taking place while we were at the International Space Elevator Consortium, ISEC org I think isec.org uh, they have an annual space elevator conference and the year before we were all a couple of us were sitting around um, drunk we were at a uh, we were at a uh, cheesy Mexican restaurant you know the kind of the restaurant that has uh, the butcher paper on the table <laughs> yeah uh-huh. right? Cheesy, cheesy Mexican restaurant. We're having too many margaritas, too many many tequilas. And we're all kind of pissed off. There's about five or six of us. We're all kind of pissed off that we can't build this thing that we want to build. And and honestly, nobody's more mad about that than I am. Uh, And so I, I remember kind of distinctly pushing away from the table and said, okay, let's stop complaining and let's do something. So... What can we actually do with current real-life technology? And so I put the three mandates in in front of them. I said it has to be current commercial off-the-shelf technology. We're only going to get one shot at this, so we have to do it in what I refer to as a single launch solution. Um, And and, and that was kind of the the starting point. I said, okay, what can we do today, now? And, uh, and they come back and said, you know, let's build an elevator on the moon. And everybody's like, oh, bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And, and literally people are you know, scribbling on the table trying to figure this out. Um, the, I, I wish I had kept the, uh, uh, that, that placemat because it was <laughs> – I think, it, oh, I think it's worthy of a, of a historic moment, right? Because it was, it was happening right, right then and there. So, um, yeah, we, uh, that was kind of the beginning of the questioning, can we actually build it with current commercial off-the-shelf technology? Uh, and so the lunar elevator would then give us the tools that we need to come back and work on the Earth system it's easier, it's cheaper, uh, you know, there's no, the gravity is less, there's no atmosphere. Like there's just, it's so many ways it's easier. So it's a brilliant precursor model. It's not that I'm pushing away from the main elevator. It's that I think that the fastest path forward is to do this, this detour. Does that make sense? It does. So, yeah. but my question is this now. Uh, yep. you, you expect it to raise... Eight to ten thousand dollars. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, you raised over a hundred thousand. Yeah. When that happened, it's a good couple days. <laughs> I'll bet it was. <laughs> I can't imagine it was a bad time at all. It was. That- it was crazy. I was working twenty hours a day just to keep up with stuff. Um, I, 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 I it was reminiscent of Marine Corps boot camp. That's no exaggeration. It was a rough two, three weeks. It really was. But at the end, the results speak for themselves, right? Exactly. So yeah. you had listed for six goals 
for this Kickstarter project. Okay, build a robot that can climb the two kilometers straight up. Build a test platform for high-altitude balloons tethered to the ground. Uh, the robot to climb the test and set the record. Uh, talk to uh, other organizations that, uh, you know, you haven't given up on the idea that you, you, you intend to reconnect with the rest of the global community and cover whatever costs you have for the experiment. Well, you made enough money to cover the cost for the experiment, I think. A little, yeah, yeah, we're good. We're in the <laughs> nice. Okay. So, that being the case, hmm? now you've been funded for uh, since September. Yeah, September. 2012. So, yeah, we're talking in the intervening six months since hmm? then. What's happened? Oh, things things are good, Dome. Things are uh, things are pretty darn good. Um, well, yeah, I mean, and that's what we want to. That's where we're at. I want to know where we're at right now. Okay, first you got to understand the Kickstarter math. So, out of one hundred and ten thousand dollars, ten nine of it evaporates on day one because Kickstarter right. has some fees and Amazon has some fees. So, okay. the check that we got was ninety nine thousand eight hundred and thirty eight dollars. So pretty good. Pretty happy. A beer pittance, considering right. you asked for eight thousand. <laughs> right, exactly. So out of the hundred thousand, about forty-five thousand goes to just fulfill the swag. Which, by the way, every Kickstarter is late. It's a nightmare. You're absolutely unprepared for it. You know, we can build an elevator on the space in in the, in the space, but apparently we can't figure out how to get T-shirts out on time. Um, <laughs> it's it's a cruel irony. It is. It's so embarrassing. Um, but then, so that leaves, that leaves about $55,000 out of 55,000. The experiment's going to cost about 20 to 25,000 because, because we had so much money, we really upped the ante on what we were going to attempt to do. Um, but then that leaves roughly $20,000. And so you have to use that money as a catalyst to move the project forward. So clearly you can't build an elevator on the moon with $20,000, no matter how optimistic you are. So what have we done since then? So we went out. Immediately we went on a trip down to California and we met with some folks in the open science community to understand that. We met with some angel investors and venture capitalists to understand that. Uh, we met with a lot of our fans. That was really important. And then I got home. This was in October. I got home for just a little while and then raced out to Vienna, Vienna, Austria. Ooh. Went to an amazing event out there called Pioneers Festival. Now, I've spoken in front of a lot of crowds. You know, usually they're 25 to 100 people, uh, often universities, like lots and lots and lots and lots of university crowds. But occasionally other kinds of crowds. Well, this was the Imperial Palace in Vienna. There were 3,000 people in the audience. Wow. That's and awesome. how did I get there? They're Kickstarter backers. No They backed way. our project and they're like, we think what you're doing is kind of awesome. Why don't you come out and tell us about it? All right. So then, while since I'm in the neighborhood... I wind up going over to 
uh, Reykjavik, Iceland, which is, as we all know, is a hotbed of advanced technology. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so why am I in Iceland? Because the... Does anybody have a guess why I Reykjavik, Iceland? You guys have some science fiction stuff. I'm just wondering if you know. I I was going to guess the clubs or you were trying to use something from Bjork to power. (laughs) Yeah. See, and I was thinking death metal and then I was like, no, that's more fantasy. That's more Sweden. No, 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 no. Um, do you guys know the video game CCP games uh, Eve Online? Mm-hmm. Right. So Eve Online is a science fiction game set about ten thousand years into the future. It's about interstellar conquest and economics. Uh, they've got a, a ground-based combat system called uh, Dust Five Fourteen. Well, they link their ground combat system with their interstellar combat system with a space elevator. Oh, and geez. do you know who backed our project? It was the CEO of CCP Games. Now, they have 500,000 players wow. play, paying 15 bucks a month. So the pretty nice Isn't little that cash. is all of Iceland? <laughs> no, it's bigger than Iceland. Iceland only has 335,000. They've actually surpassed it about two years ago. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. So here's this guy, Hilmar. Um, Now, I'm pretty big. I'm about 6'4", 210. He's about the same size as me, but he's wide. And he is what you think of when you think of a 15th century Viking, right? Red hair, red beard. He's literally... The whole thing. Gotcha. Yeah, right. No, he's pounding on the conference table because it's the same week that I the iPhone came out and it's a centimeter longer and it's a billion dollars. And he's like, you can build an iPhone, you can add a centimeter to the iPhone for a billion dollars. We can build an elevator on the moon, right, for a billion dollars, right? So so he starts freaking out, and he gets his team involved, and we're actually doing some pretty major stuff with EVE Online. Um, uh, we've got 6,000 codes to give out, so if you guys want to post a link to us, we'll give out some codes to your, your listeners. Um, and uh, and we've got some more stuff coming out. We're going out to Reykjavik again next month for their Fan Fest. It's their 10-year anniversary. Uh, we got some really awesome stuff coming up there, so I can't talk about, but it's really, really neat, and I'm excited about it. <laughs> um, so that and that that's another Kickstarter thing, right? And so then I go off to New York, and we have some media stuff. And Gadget gets really involved. And Gadget has been amazing to us, and they do a big interview. At first, they think the whole thing is kind of a fluff piece. But the more they look into it, the more excited they get. So Engadget has now done, I think, five or six articles on us so far. I mean, they're seriously following. And why? Because half of their senior staff are following our Kickstarter campaign, like pledged to our Kickstarter campaign. It's really mind-boggling. And then, if that's not cool enough, I go – this is on the same trip. This is like a five-, six-week trip. Get down to – uh, Puerto Rico, and there's a small school down there. 
that is really interested in space technologies. They just inherited a bunch of property. They're building a brand new campus and it's focusing on science, technology, engineering, and math. And they would like the space elevator to be a component there. They've asked me to go hire <laughs> six PhDs to start teaching their students about basic orbital mechanics, but then a component of that is space elevator. Or basic electronics, and a component of that is space elevator robotics, or blah, blah, blah. So, and that's, that's, just, that's just September, October, and November. Um, it was really incredible. Uh, December was kind of quiet for holidays and stuff. Also, recovery. Just for all that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It was just, it was insane. And then, uh, you know, January, February, March, it kind of picked back up. Um, uh, I just came back in the last month. I've gone from Seattle to Los Angeles twice, Seattle, San Francisco last weekend, Seattle to, uh, where was I? Omaha, Nebraska for uh, for an education event, trying to get the schools involved. Um, this weekend, I was in San Francisco for Engadget uh, Expand. They have a big event that they do. Uh, that's where I met Yancy Strickler. That's where I met some of the uh, uh, some of the folks from the International Space Station. It was really great. I got to meet and, and talk with. Um, uh, Tom Rivellini, he's the Seven Minutes of Terror Mars Entry, Descent, and Lander guy. He was pretty awesome. So what I've been doing is collecting brilliant people to work on this project. Now, right now, it's all volunteers, there, we, but we have about 75 PhDs and probably 200 uh, very credentialed professionals, master's degree, PhD, or 10 to 15 years experience in a particular problem. All I've been doing so far is collecting the brain power necessary to get this thing going. They're all volunteering. It's really, really been amazing. So, Michael, uh, have you a need for some podcasters along the way? <laughs> Absolutely, we do. No, we do. I was going to say, next time we hear about a brain drain, we should be checking out your basement. Is that? Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. No, seriously. Um, uh, the the amount. Think about this for a second. Okay, for first of all, I had a decade to work on the Earth elevator. But the problems on the lunar elevator are substantially different. Not fundamentally different, but substantially different. Which means we've only had about six months, really, to work on this problem. We don't even have all the questions yet, let alone have all the answers. So we need to collect the people that have, that can ask good questions and then start developing answers. We need to find cash. Let's be really candid about that. You know, that $100,000 from Kickstarter is dwindling quickly. So finding the money to keep this project going is vital. Uh, finding the people is vital. Uh, I don't want to fail at this twice. And I have a much thinner leash than I had the last time. Mm. Yeah, that's a doubt. No, it's, it's actually not a downer because had we done this interview three years ago, then it would uh, be a downer. 
Either them crying, we'd have to get therapists on the line. Well, that's okay. We we actually have a therapist on the line. That's right. We okay. were hoping not to have to use her, but we're, and I'm really glad we did. Hey. It was bad. I'm not going to lie. Those two years afterwards, 2007, 8, and 9, holy cow. That was a rough time for me. Not going to lie. It was not sure. easy. Yeah, yeah. But I think what but you found out... Down. In putting the Kickstarter project together, uh-huh. is that you know it must have felt really alone for a long time uh-huh. until until that launch because it was it was it was kind of it was kind of ballsy to put out that Kickstarter because I had no idea if it was going to work, no idea, sure. you know, and it was there was I did I did some background, I did some research. I spent some time. You guys mentioned Amanda Palmer earlier. I actually learned a lot from Amanda Palmer, like just watching her. I met her one time for 30 seconds, but I watched her campaigns and her series of campaigns. She did like three or four before she hit it big. And she had been doing things for years to develop a fan base and a community that she felt comfortable that she could reach out to. And I had done yes. a lot of those things. I had just never put together in the same way that she had. So I thought that was really interesting. So I copied her and I copied a bunch of other stuff that was out there. And I, I'm a numbers nerd, right? At the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a numbers nerd. I'm a spreadsheet junkie. So I built spreadsheets around successful Kickstarter campaigns trying to understand how they worked. Um, but the thing that nobody ever tells you, the thing that makes Kickstarter actually work, it's not the campaign. Once the campaign is over, it's the backers behind the campaign that got us all the stuff that we've gotten so far. People have just stepped up and wanted to help. Michael, You're- can I ask you a question? Of course, yeah. Um, you, you said you were watching Amanda's campaign, and I, I, I did contribute to hers, so I saw a lot of that as well. And does that mean you got a lot of pictures of yourself naked and were posting them all over <laughs> your newsletters to your uh, to your fans? And uh, I, I think uh, she's asking uh, if that actually happened. I, I have not. I am. I'm not going to say there are no naked pictures of me on the internet. <laughs> it's just that that the ones that that there are no naked pictures in me in connection with the space elevator. <laughs> so here, here's what I think is probably the most telling fact about your Kickstarter campaign. Uh-huh. You set up all these different tiers and levels of support. You did this with only three backers pledging over $1,000 each. Every one of your backers beyond those three people is what got you over $100,000 on this. Absolutely, absolutely. Look at the $8 number. The $8 card, we had 1,000 people. Like, I was only asking... Yeah. Right. I was I was asking for eight thousand dollars and over a thousand people backed at eight dollars. They just thought the idea of the card carrying supporter card was awesome and they wanted to use it as geek cred whenever the, you know, whenever they're at the bar saying, I'm a I'm a super nerd, here's my proof. What that was me. amazing. Yeah, and that uh-huh. pisses me off because I found out about 
this particular project two days after it closed. Oh. Uh, you think I'm not pissed off? I was supporting <laughs> well, eight years ago, man. <laughs> we I we can probably we can probably arrange to get some cards out into the world for you. So don't oh. don't sweat that too much. Oh. Um we got uh we've got uh we're just now like you know you asked earlier like what have we been, what have we done lately the last six months? Um we're only we've got about half the t-shirts out. We've got uh, we're beginning to get some of the bracelets out. We're beginning to get some of this stuff out, but but the there's over you know the guys at the eight dollar level and then everybody above thirty five dollars. All of those people get cards, so there's something like three thousand cards we have to get out to people. Nice. So it's uh it's been kind of a complicated mess. Uh, uh, three thousand four hundred and sixty eight to be exact. Uh, thank you for that. Yes, we, it's quite a few. So, so Michael. No, it's fun. It's good though. Yeah, yeah. It's all good. Well, well let me let me add one more thing, and then we'll kind of shift sure. away from Kickstarter if you like. But um, we did something. If any of your listeners have done a Kickstarter or going to do a Kickstarter, it's really worthwhile. But one thing you're going to want to do is literally go through name for name for name. Look people up on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter uh, and try to identify who these people are because some of these people can really make a difference in your project. Really. Um, I can't name names, but there's one guy on our that backed our campaign who is literally a name brand the Silicon Valley multi-hundred millionaire. Like if I named his name, you guys would all know who I'm talking about. And he has a legion of fans that would follow basically wherever he goes. And, and, and the, the temptation when that name popped up was to exploit it for the immediacy of that value. But he's a guy who has certified over a quarter of a billion dollars and who has a lot of friends that have over a billion dollars. Right. So is the short term gain of, you know, cashing in on, a, on his name worth the loss of that kind of capital source? No, it's right. not. So but but those but those backers, I mean, we have dozens of PhDs. We have members of the British Parliament. We've got school teachers. We've got um, engineers, roboticists, you know, something the pr a project this complicated, everybody always focuses on the technology because the technology is the cool, sexy part of this thing. But you need lawyers and accountants and artists and uh, you know business financiers and and Air Force generals. I mean, you need all of these parts. You guys asked earlier if I need podcasters. The answer is yes, we need podcasters. We can talk about that later. Oh, That's and not we will. <laughs> yeah, that's not an exaggeration, right? So, so this project takes the sum of human knowledge, and if you've got 3,500 backers that have said, hey, I want a T-shirt, well, maybe they want a T-shirt, or maybe they've got some other asset that is worth contacting them and seeing what else is out there. So, you know, we have at least six people 
that have a net worth between 25 and $100 million. We have two billionaires backing our project, or at least interested in our project. So that all came from Kickstarter. Like that's, there's no way I could have created that out of zero. That all came from Kickstarter. It's really, really been amazing. And I think that we're only just getting started. So you're By the way, go, no, just, I'm sorry, go ahead. We are going to have another Kickstarter launching in August. That's going to be our second, our next one. And yeah, we're looking for more, but this time it's, we've learned basically everything we can learn at the, you know, within the atmosphere, climbing balloons and climbing robots. Mm-hmm. So we're actually going to go and try and kickstart an actual satellite experiment. Which, uh, was, which was my next question. You're uh, six yep. months past the end of your first kickstart project. Huh? What do you see happening in the coming six months? What, what, what are your goals, the short term? Dome, I spent five hours in a conference call yesterday specifically working on that problem. And, and the really, answers were? <laughs> you don't want the five-hour answer. You don't want the five-hour answer. But, but, but um, uh, aiming for – so uh, May, June, July, we're going to have to finish off the Kickstarter. We've got three experiments. We're going to two kilometers, 6,500 feet – Two miles, 11,000 feet, and four and a half miles, seven kilometers, that's 23,000 feet. Something is going to break in those three experiments, absolutely guaranteed something's going to break. But that's science, and that's what this is about, and I'm fine with that. Uh, so those are, that's what the summer looks like, is those three big experiments. Uh, we have to finish off our Kickstarter obligations so that's that's the completion of that. Um, the Reykjavik launch is a really big deal. There's so there's a lot of work involved with the with the CCP games and, and FanFest. Um, we are about to launch a. Di- we're, we're actually helping a friend of ours launch a Kickstarter that will actually come back to us. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and announce it here, although it's not live, so you guys should be looking for it, and I'll tell you when it's live. Your fans will love it. Um, we mentioned Ben Bova earlier. Uh, okay. Ever ever hear of a guy named Larry Niven or Kevin Anderson? Oh, yeah. oh you mean or, Ring World, the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, little guys like that, you know, yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, in, yeah. In, insignificant authors that, you know, no one's ever heard of. Um, so Kevin Anderson is going to put together an anthology of lunar elevator stories, science fiction stories. We we were sitting around a couple, about two months ago, talking about how did I get started in space, how did he get started. And we all all referenced the grand masters of science fiction. And we're like, well, what do we do for the next generation? We need a new class of science fiction to inspire folks. So – we're going to put together an anthology. We can't name names of who's going to be in this thing because that's still in the negotiation process. But we have a list of 28 authors that Kevin knows, Kevin knows personally that he has worked with in the past that he knows likes this stuff to begin with. And they are going to be names you recognize. They are going to be names you recognize is all I can say right now. 
Um, and they're going to create a Kickstarter around creating this anthology. And the awesome part is it, it, as if getting the word out to a bunch of future scientists and engineers was not cool enough. These guys have actually committed research dollars to our project. So for every book that gets sold, we're going to get a portion of it for our project. Nice. So I, I can't tell you how excited I am about that. So that actually will kick off in the next couple of weeks, maybe two weeks or so. Um, FanFest in Reykjavik is in April. May, June, July are our experiments. Then August is the next Space Elevator Conference. What we'd like to do, I'm not sure we have the capital to pull this off, is we'd like to put together a conference of all of our board of advisors, bring all these guys into one place into one time and just have them sit down so that the engineers talk to the lawyers, the lawyers talk to the theologians, the theologians talk to the military advisors, and that everybody talks to the financiers. So everybody's kind of on the same page. I mean, I think that's going to be our organizing conference. We're trying to do that in August. I don't know if that's possible. But at the very least, we'll launch our next Kickstarter campaign in August for the satellite experiment. So that's, that's what the next six months looks like. And so in, the anthology, in the I'm anthology, sorry. all the elevator guys, uh, the space elevator guys are going to be nice, aren't they, Michael? You know, I'm, um, Kevin was very specific about not putting any criteria on his <laughs> offers. And so I'm just going to have to sit back and watch that evolve <laughs> and me be this, this, this cruel tyrant or I don't know. I don't know why this, my character is always a bad guy, but I'd like him to be a good guy, but so, we'll see. Okay, so uh, what I want from you right now is a commitment that when uh, this next Kickstarter project comes up, sure. you're back with us yep. to talk about it and know that uh, you've got the backing of perhaps the finest podcast in the history of science fiction. <laughs> That's right. That's Thank right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I guarantee I'll be back, and I presume I'll be able to bring uh, Kevin and maybe a couple surprises with me. So. I think we could make that happen. That seems yeah. cool. <laughs> Mike, I am so glad we didn't do this interview two years ago. I'm really happy and, mm -hmm. and pleased beyond belief that uh, – Liftport 2.0 is alive, is well, has short-term and long-term goals. Congratulations on rising out of the ashes. Thank Woo! you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> We've been talking with Mike Lane of Liftport. Can we talk about what's happening over the next couple of weeks? We can, Dome. Once I turn the oh, sound yeah. up to the correct level. <laughs> It's hard to do two things at once. But next week on March 30th, we're going to be talking to do 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 Colin Solon from Boston Comic Con. He's going to give us all kinds of info on this year's guests and events. And we're very, very excited. We are. Um, Boston Comic Con, Boston Comic Con, Boston Comic Con. Was that four <laughs> or five? That was fine. Okay, good. That's our contractually obligated number. There you go. 
then on April 13th, we're going to talk to Mike Doherty and the cast of his new movie, Z-Con. And then the next weekend, April 20th and 21st, you should come down to Boston Comic Con and meet the cast of Sci-Fi Saturday Night in person. Because we'll be there. Because we'll be there. That's right. That's right. And so will Bob and Kim, right, Dead Redhead? (laughs) Absolutely. Tell us about that. I will tell you that (laughs) Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con. And of comicarthouse.com. Visit comicarthouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music is provided by the Traffic Lights. Pick up their CD, Hold the Folk, at robwattsonline.com. Now I want to thank our guest tonight, Mike Lane of Liftport. I want to thank our, our crew tonight for working shorthanded and doing a terrific job. From the Revered Time Vortex, this week's Sweetheart of the Soundboard, Zombrarian. Thank you, my darling. You did a terrific job. Oh, thank you. I'm going to go have a scotch. I'll have <laughs> one with you. From the Four Color Vault of Comics, thank you, Dead Redhead. You can't see him, but Barnabas is waving his paw. <laughs> this is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone. Good night. I know.